This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, August 13th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. Americans across the country have been feeling the effects of ballooning inflation as a direct result of government-mandated shutdowns of the economy. Prices on essential goods like food and gas have steadily risen over the past few months, leaving many wondering about the economic health of the nation. Heritage economic expert Joel Griffith joins us today on the Daily Signal podcast to talk about the latest inflation numbers and how good fiscal policy can help us right the ship. Don't forget, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. The Taliban on Thursday captured the strategically significant cities of Ghazni and Herat, marking the fall of 11 out of 34 provincial capitals after a week-long blitz of fighting. It is estimated that with the fall of these two cities, the Taliban now controls over two-thirds of Afghanistan. Herat is the third largest city in the country and contains a prison that housed Taliban fighters, while Ghazni sits on the Kabul-Kandahar highway, connecting the national capital, Kabul, with Afghanistan's southern provinces. In the aftermath of devastating losses across Afghanistan, U.S. Air Force spokeswoman Nicole Ferreira said U.S. forces had launched air attacks to assist Afghan forces fighting the Taliban. The New York Times reported that American negotiators are working to get promises from Taliban forces that should Kabul be attacked, the Taliban would spare the American embassy there. The Biden administration has not announced plans to evacuate American staff. Afghan ambassador to the U.S. Adela Raz was critical of the Biden administration for suggesting working with the Taliban in a political and peaceful solution, as well as for the, quote, extremely limited air support provided by the U.S. Air Force. If I talk about the fall of Kabul, then I'm shattering my hopes, Raz said in an interview with News Nation. American intelligence has warned that Kabul could fall in as little as a month once American troops withdraw. Texas Governor Greg Abbott and State Attorney General Ken Paxton are pushing back on Dallas County's new mass mandate. Abbott previously issued a ban on mass mandates in Texas, but earlier this week, Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins sued the governor over the ban. District Judge Tony Parker then temporarily halted the governor's ban on mass mandates. Jenkins also signed an order requiring those entering Dallas County businesses, as well as school employees and visitors, to wear masks. Abbott and Paxton are fighting back by filing a court petition to stop Jenkins' mask order. Abbott said Wednesday, any school district, public university, or local government official that decides to defy GA 38, which prohibits government entities from mandating masks, will be taken to court. The governor added, the path forward relies on personal responsibility, not government mandates. A recent report from the Oregonian details how Oregon Governor Kate Brown last month quietly signed into law Senate Bill 744, which removes graduation requirements asking students to prove that they can read, write, and do math at a high school level. Brown's office declined to explain why the Democratic governor did not publicly announce the signing of the bill, nor did the governor's office explain why Brown's signature was not logged into the legislative database until July 29th, even though the bill was signed July 14th. A statement released by a Brown spokesman said that the removal of graduation standards would benefit, quote, Oregon's black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color. The bill had overwhelming support from Oregon Democrats, but Republicans argued it would lower academic standards. 
Although the new law provides the possibility for new standards, it says that the earliest they could be enacted is 2027. After New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced his resignation Tuesday, some Republicans and Democrats called for the Democrat governor to be held accountable for his handling of New York City nursing homes during the COVID-19 pandemic. Cuomo's announcement that he would resign in two weeks came after state investigators determined that he sexually harassed 11 female state workers. New York State Assemblyman Ron Kim told Fox News earlier this week, I committed in March that after he goes down for sexual assault and harassment, I will still be here to hold him accountable for the thousands of nursing home deaths that happened under his watch, and I plan on still doing that. Kim's uncle died in a New York City nursing home after Governor Cuomo issued an order that allowed COVID-positive patients to return to nursing homes. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, who will be becoming governor when Cuomo leaves office in less than two weeks, said she will run for the job in 2022 after completing Cuomo's third term. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Joel Griffith on inflation and how we can get back on track with good fiscal policy. The Heritage Foundation has a new website to combat critical race theory. CRT, as it's known, makes race the centerpiece of all aspects of American life. It categorizes individuals into groups of oppressors and victims. The idea is infiltrating everything from our politics and education to the workplace and even our military. Heritage has pulled together the resources that you need to identify CRT in your community and the ways to fight it. We also have a legislation tracker so you can see what's happening in your state. Visit heritage.org slash CRT to learn more. Our guest today is Joel Griffith, a research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Rowe Institute for Economic Policy. Joel, welcome to the show. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me today. Good yeah, to be here. Great. Awesome. So there's been a lot of talk in the news recently about high inflation and what impact it's having on the American financial situation, right? So can you explain exactly to us what high inflation means and what the effects are on the economy? Yeah, when we talk about inflation overall, what we mean is the overall price level rather than any one particular item that you might be buying. Now, of course, a lot of us have noticed uh, over the past year, it is costing us noticeably more to fill up our vehicles. Energy prices are up about 40% year over year. And there's a lot of food items too. I mean, there's, there's a number of items. So when we talk about inflation, we're talking about the overall increase in the price level. And that too, actually, has been dramatically higher than what we've been used to over many years. Just just today, the new numbers came out for the month of July. Prices rose overall by 0.5% in just one month alone. And year over year, we're looking at increases that are 5.4% higher year over year. And that that is uh, the highest going back to 2008. So for a lot of people that have entered the jobs market in the past decade, they have never experienced a year in which prices overall have increased by this much. Now, so you mentioned 2008, and obviously a lot of our listeners, that's going to probably bring back some pretty negative memories of like, wow, my economic situation was horrendous at that time. Are we saying that now the current economic health of the country is similar to 2008, or is is it worse? Is it better? Where where are we at? Well, you're very back in 2008, 2009 era. That was one of the worst economic downturns we have seen since the Great Depression, which was in the 1930s. 
that uh, in the 2008 era, that was uh, when housing prices collapsed. We had a stock market collapse. We had a number, many big banks that went under. Now, this situation that we're dealing with right now is, is quite a bit different. Uh, this past year and a half, we also saw a very sharp economic decline, uh, larger in, in a single quarter than than we have seen in any of our lifetimes, unless you were around back in the 1930s. Um, but that was an economic collapse this past year caused by governmental response to COVID-19. The first time in our nation's history where we actually saw governments intentionally suppress economic activity. And because of the nature of that economic collapse that we saw a year and a half ago, the rebound has been very, very sharp on the upside because once government said, all right, you can go back to work, you can resume your lives, we saw the economy snap back. So in many ways, the economy now uh, that we're experiencing is actually much better for most people than it was in the recession before, which is more than a decade ago. Sure. So it sounds almost like what you're saying is that a lot of the current economic situation is tied more to efforts made by the government and like, you know, government bodies as opposed yeah. to the, the pandemic itself. Is that, yeah. is that and, accurate? And that really plays out across the United States uh, because unlike uh, pretty much every other developed country in the world, we have a federalist system, meaning that each of our 50 states has quite a bit of power to determine their own economic policy. So over the past year and a half, you had some states that were shut down just for two weeks or three weeks, like Florida, mm -hmm. that rapidly reopened. And meanwhile, you had places like New York and Michigan and California that kept much of their economy shuttered for the better part of a year. And now the data start really showing the difference in economic output by state. You have a dozen states or so that have bigger economies now than they did before mm. the pandemic. But you have places like Hawaii, New York, and California that are still quite a bit smaller and still have uh, a higher unemployment than they did prior to the pandemic. Sure. So going back to what you mentioned actually earlier at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned that July's inflation numbers actually just released. Uh, I have some of the data up in front of me right now. They said that core inflation rose about 3%, while the consumer price index rose 5.4% uh, from last year. Uh, having these numbers in our hands, what does that tell us about the direction the economy is heading coming from data from last month or from earlier in the year? Yeah, well, a number of these items uh, really reflect the rapid reopening of the economy. If you look at um, energy costs, for instance, that's uh, the biggest um, the, the biggest increase year over year has been in energy overall. And that's in large part because the economy reopened in some ways faster than some of the experts and some of the energy producers predicted. So as you saw travel surge, for instance, air, airline travel, people just driving, uh, manufacturing overall, uh, it, it caught some of these those producers um, off-footed. So we have seen supply outpaced demand growth, and we've seen a surge in those prices. Um, if you look at vehicle prices, mm. um, I'm one of those who actually bought a used vehicle earlier this year. Uh, it's not in your imagination. Used car prices are up 40 percent wow. in just the past year. Many people are finding that they bought, you know, they bought a vehicle four or five months ago, and they're finding their used car value is actually increased in value despite the norm of it going down fairly steadily over time. Well, that in part is because of uh, we're flush with a lot of extra cash, but also we have a microchip problem. 
where we have a shortage. Right. So it's, it's much more difficult to find a new car at a comparable price. So everything is really interrelated here. It's hard to put your finger on any one cause, but we know the reopening, the supply chain issues, and then our own government's mismanagement of the monetary system. That is also partially to blame for this unusually large increase in prices. Now, I'm curious because we see all these products, like you mentioned, obviously used cars and, and other kind of items that people generally buy on a daily basis are becoming more expensive. How does this affect like a paycheck? How does this affect somebody's wages? Is there any effect that this inflation has on people's actual money? Uh, well, when you see inflation and the overall price level increasing faster than someone's salary growth, which is what we have seen lately, well, that means that your real wages, they, they purchase less. Mm. And that's uh, one of the, uh, the the concerns really longer term is even if this burst of inflation proves to be temporary, that the rate of inflation, let's say this 5% rate will come back down to the typical average that we've seen over the longer term of say 2% per year. Mm. Well, if your salary this past year, your wages only increased 2% and your cost of living increased 5%, even if inflation comes back down to that 2% long-term average, if your income growth only continues at its historical rate of growth, well, that means that you have permanently seen a 3% decline in your income relative to where you would have been were it not for this surge of inflation. So you're you're basically saying that you could be making the same amount of money as you were before, but due to inflation and due to the fact that this level of inflation that we're seeing right now is so severe, you in effect are taking a pay cut. Right. Even if this is uh, a lot of economists are using the word transitory to refer to this inflation burge, suggesting that it'll come back to normal, that inflation will return to its historical norm. The problem is if you never make up for that gap in terms of your wages, then that could be a permanent reduction in your real wages for years to come. Wow. That sounds I, I, that sounds like a big issue. So on that sort of similar topic of you know wages and and work, uh, another topic that's been popping up a lot recently in the news is the job market. So we also got some relatively recent numbers uh, on the American labor market, and it shows that there are around 10 million open jobs in the country currently. Now that seems like a lot of jobs, but there's also reporting that indicates that unemployment is huge as well. So. I guess, how does that mesh? Like, how do we have such high unemployment when there seems to be so many jobs out there? Uh, well, we lost many jobs, of course, during the shutdown. And in some areas of the country, thanks to the reopening, uh, we actually do see unemployment rates that are as lower, lower than they were prior to the pandemic. In fact, as you just referenced, the number of job openings we have now is actually at an all-time record high. For a number of months now, we've had an all-time record high of job openings. We have more job openings now than we did prior to the pandemic. We have more job openings than we do people looking for work. Wow. Uh, and we uh, we have a situation that in our small business sector, m nearly half of all businesses that participated in a recent NFIB survey reported that they're having uh, problems staffing. And if you go to any town or city across America, you'll probably see this as well. And I was on uh, uh, with family recently in South Carolina, and most of the bars and restaurants had help wanted signs. Many of them had limited their hours or their seating, not because of COVID. That's mm. They're over those restrictions in South Carolina. It's because they cannot find staff. Well, 
In this instance, government has actually caused a big part of this problem. Mm. And that's because we are paying people, thanks to a federal unemployment bonus, many people have found they can earn more, earn in quote marks, right. earn more not working than working. And because of that, many people have chosen to simply stay home. It's a big part of why we actually have a labor shortage right now. And once again, the data confirm this. Because we have a number of states, several, uh, I think two dozen states now, that have said we are no longer going to accept this, these federal unemployment benefits. And it just so happens that it's most of those states that are ahead of the pack in terms of getting their unemployment rates down. But that's because people have been incentivized to go back to work because they can no longer take in those enormous federal unemployment bonuses. So it sounds like basically the biggest issue here is bad fiscal policy. So I'm curious then, Joel, what is the role of government in terms of fiscal policy? I mean, does Congress have a role in controlling inflation? Does it have a role in doing these types of things? Where does the government step in? Well, Congress has the ultimate power of the purse to actually appropriate and spend and, and, and tax. And unfortunately, both Republicans and Democrats for many years now, have not acted prudently. It's why nearly each and every year, actually each and every year since the era of President Bill Clinton and Speaker Newt Gingrich back in the early 90s, each and every year we've actually run a deficit. And in the last few years, those deficits have gotten wider and wider. And we're fortunate we live in a, in a free market economy where we do have quite a bit of economic freedom. And so we've still achieved productivity gains. We've still been able to see families earn more in it, uh, over time. Mm. But it could have been so much better because we've seen the government gobble up more and more of our resources. And it's gotten far, far worse over the past year and a half throughout COVID. Right. So now that we have this sort of idea of the government has this role in matters of fiscal policy and this is what they should be doing, where should our listeners go if they wanted to learn a little bit more about what fiscal policy we want to be seeing from our government? Uh, well, here at the Heritage Foundation, if you go to heritage.org, any type of issue that you're interested in, you can just put it in the search bar and it'll pop up. And, of course, we also are very active on Twitter, just staying up with current events. But these are very important issues. And we have seen um, so much happen over the year, last year and a half with politicians using COVID as an excuse to embark on wild spending programs under the guise of helping us through the crisis. But we know what can get us through this crisis. It's allowing people to go back to work. And in states where that has happened, people are actually enjoying their lives again. We see the economies booming again. And unfortunately, a lot of what we see in terms of legislation continues to suggest that we're in this state of emergency in which we need massive government help. Just look at the package that is working its way through Congress now with uh, infrastructure and a Green New Deal. And uh, these are going to be serious economic consequences if we see our, our, our folks in D.C. continue to act this imprudently. When we think about uh, the, the inflation numbers, uh, something to keep in mind is we, we have seen a boom in housing prices. Sure. And a lot of people have um, enjoyed their home equity going up. But they're finding that when they look to get a bigger home, uh, they have a few kids, they look for a bigger home, they're finding their price out of the marketplace. Same goes for people that are looking to buy their first house. Mm. They're realizing, wow, these these housing costs are out of control. It's, it's uh, a lot of people are being forced to rent longer term. Well, of interesting note, that big rise in house prices doesn't even factor into these inflation numbers. Oh, wow. And that's because the inflation numbers basically estimate what people are typically paying in rent. And rent costs have been rising, but at a more subdued rate than other items. 
And now that these leases be are beginning to expire, and now that landlords are have, beginning to recognize that there's a risk of eviction moratoriums being continued or possibly happening in the future, there's a good chance that these rental prices are going to be increasing at a faster clip over the next year, which may also end up impacting overall inflation. Wow. That's, I mean, that, that definitely seems like a, a really strong consequence of this that we should be focusing on for sure. That was Joel Griffith, a research fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Rowe Institute for Economic Policy. Joel, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you Monday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.